2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. Fruit inspectors, this is part two, the importance of the add-ons to our faith. You know, 2 Peter was written for the purpose of warning the church about false teachers and the false teachings that would be amongst the congregation. False teachings about God, his ways, his character as old as the early church in its inception. There are a couple of forms of false teaching. Number one, a form of legalism, which is man-made commands that look as if they come from God, but they don't. Paul, throughout his ministry, battled with this form of false teaching. But that is not the false teaching Peter is dealing with here in 2 Peter. Peter's de dealing with what we would call liberal theology or liberal thinking. Now, in verses 5 through 7, it begins to say this for us. It says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So a key word I want you to note or circle in your Bible, if you have a Bible, or just put it in your memory, is the word add. It means to supply further or to add more unto. So Peter says we can add to our faith. Faith here means a saving faith. It means by putting our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiving of our sins. That's the start of the Christian life. So our salvation, our start is to follow with these add-on. Why? Because it grows our faith in salvation. It grows our Christian character. But listen very carefully. This is not earning more salvation. You can't earn more salvation. You're either saved or you're not saved. So these add-ons are not earning more salvation from God. Salvation is a free gift. Yet we obey God's word because we are saved. The Holy Spirit now in our lives puts us under new management. We're not saved to remain the same. And the Holy Spirit in us manages us to not remain the same as we were before salvation. But, you know, the longer I walk with the Lord, I find there is a great temptation. And this is not with new Christians, and this isn't, but this is with the veteran Christians, the ones who've been around for a long time. It's a temptation, a tendency to stop growing which, if you don't know, is contrary to the Word of God. According to the Bible, that is not a normal Christianity. To be sated spiritually and go and find new interests and shelve spiritual growth, allowing the traitor, the flesh, you know, or the world to have a greater place in our life, the Bible doesn't teach that. Paul himself, in 2 Timothy, at the very end of his life, just weeks or months before he was beheaded, he was writing to Timothy and asking him to bring his cloak because he was cold there in prison. But also, he said, bring the books and especially the parchments. Paul wanted to continue his Bible study and learning all the way until the very end of his life. And I think he could have been at peace just to coast at this time. I mean, he's already in the Christian Hall of Fame. But that is not the life Jesus wants from any of us. And Paul the Apostle, he knew that. And he continued to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God's word. So here in verses 5 through 7, Peter lists seven Christian virtues that we can grow into. So to our faith, we first add virtue, which means moral excellence. I don't know if they even exist in our culture today. We might as well strike it from Webster's Dictionary. But false teachers would teach that morality was not that important compared to a heart for God. Yes, you have moral failure. You lie, you cheat, you steal, but you got a heart for God. Your heart is right before God. That doesn't make sense. 
You know, it talks about in verse 3, Peter did, talking about the glory and his virtue, that we are to have his virtue. So we're to be more like Jesus, so it's wrong if it, uh, if it does matter, because it, does, it, doesn't, it does matter a great deal that we would have virtue. And add to virtue, we add knowledge. And, of course, it's growing in the knowledge of Christ. And that comes from the continual learning and studying of God's word. Jesus said it in, in John 7, 17, where he declared that if you obey my teaching, then you'll discover my truth to be true. How? By the quality of life that is produced by simple obedience to the word of God. Compared to the quality of life that is produced by all the voices in the world, and that includes the voice in my own head. There's no spiritual truth in the world or in my head other than the Bible. If the Word of God is de-emphasized in the local church, then what are we going to replace it with? And what we replace it with will be totally inferior to what is found in the book before us. We would be dumbing down the church by taking the Word of God out of it. Now, to this knowledge, we add self-control. God has already built that in by way of His Holy Spirit. We've we have within us the power to live a self-controlled life because he's given us the desire to want to excel in the Christian life, but also along with the power when we choose to simply obey his word. Let me give you an example of this. It's like a world-class athletes. They live in a world of self-control. They say no to a world of things in order to excel in that endeavor of remaining a world-class athlete. That's the world class athletes world self-control plays a major role they they have the will and the desire and the motivation to do it and when they simply do it and say no to certain foods that they shouldn't be eating as an athlete late night out or out in the bar whatever the case may be when they say no to those kinds of things the power kicks in and they find li living a self-controlled life is not as hard as some make it sound but listen in the same way no Christian can excel with God apart from self-control. And then from self-control, we add perseverance. So it means to continue on. You know, that's what it means. It means to continue. Don't stop your Christian faith. Don't relax in your Christian faith. Don't coast in your Christian faith. Don't kick back in your Christian faith. You continue on with it. So it does matter. You know, the thing is, is this. God is never put on the back burner or the shelf. And listen, it doesn't matter, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter anything of what other people are doing or not doing. We continue, we persevere. If they stop going to church, do you stop going to church too? If they were hurt by the church, that makes me mad, so I'm going to quit going to church because those people are hurt by the church. Why should I go to the church? Or if you go to church, you stop going to church because you got so tired of all the hypocrites in church. Listen, nothing affects you. You persevere. You continue on. You stay faithful. Because remember, when we stand before God, we stand alone. No one will be with us. It's not a group effort. You are alone looking the eyes of the Lord. And a person may have a laundry list of excuses, but all the Lord wants to know is, were you faithful? Did you persevere? Did you continue on? He will not be looking at all, any of your mistakes that you made. He, will, he won't be looking at your failures. He won't be looking at your sin. He won't be looking at your excuses. All he wants to know is, were you faithful? And, of course, what we want to hear are those words, well done, good, and faithful servant. We persevere. We continue on. Now we add to that godliness, and that speaks of being devout or reverent towards God. 
Basically, it's a person who cares more of what God thinks of me more than any other person thinks of me. Now, someone might say something bad about you or malign you or it's all false, it's untrue. They may ruin your reputation. They've ruined your character. They said nothing but lies about you. But you know the truth, and God knows the truth, and that's all you care about. The only, I only care about what God thinks more than anything else, and that means even what you might think. Only I care about what God thinks. That's godliness. And then from godliness, you add brotherly kindness. It's the Greek word we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love in Pennsylvania. So we should be growing in our affection for other Christians. There should be that continual community that we have with other Christians. And from there to love. Of course, that word love is agape love. It's a love that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the love God has for us. It's a love that does what is best for the other person. And what is best for us by God, we might think God hates us. Or what we might do for someone else, they might think that I'm not being very loving. But we're doing what is best. God is always doing what is best. And for our children, it's the same way. You know, we're doing what's best for our children, but they may think, <laughs> they may think that we don't love them, we don't care for them, because we're not allowing them to do something. They want somebody to spend the night. Can they spend the night? Can they spend the night? You promised they could, but that's until I met them. <laughs> and now I'm going to do what's best. They're not going to spend the night because I know what's best for you. I, I know I made a promise, but I'm going to break that promise because I want to do what's best for you. That's unconditional love, and that's the same kind of love God has for us, always doing what's best for us, even though we might not always agree to it. And then it says in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says if we do these virtues, we will never fall or never stumble. I mean, these seven virtues inoculate us from all the winds of doctrine, all the thought, all the voices telling me that it's okay. Why knock yourself out in doing these seven virtues? Because it's impossible to live the life the Bible teaches. No one can do so. Don't knock yourself out trying. Besides, I've grown far enough anyway. I'm satisfied where I'm at in my spiritual walk. I can kick back now, and I can cruise through my Christianity. That would mean you're not persevering. You're not continuing on. That would mean you're not being faithful. You don't want to do that. Those seven virtues is our protection from falling prey to and never falling away. It keeps us also from barrenness or boredom or dryness in our walk with the Lord. In it, we are assured if we live this way in obedience to God and add to our faith these virtues, it will be an abundant entrance into heaven. It's not that you make it to the finish line of the race and cross over. It means that you finish the race well. You finish strong. You didn't just crawl over the finish line. You know, as we talked about with the Apostle Paul there in 2 Timothy just weeks before his execution, knowing it was close, he wanted to study. He wanted the parchments. He wanted the books to continue to read and to grow in the Lord. But he also said this in that same letter. He said, I fought the good fight. And I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge. 
he will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul just didn't finish. He finished well. And we are to finish well, too, because there's an abundant entrance for me into heaven. And Paul says it's going to be for us, too, like it is for him. You can count on that. Keep the faith that was delivered to us once and for all. And for this reason, he says in verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, that you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So right after Peter gives us this very sobering teaching on continuing to grow in our walk and relationship with Christ, not cruise, not kick back, but now he inserts how important reminders are in all of this. He says it three times in four verses here. So we are to be reminded of things we already know. The reason we have to be reminded is because we are so forgetful. We have stored up so much memory, but we forget so much of that that we know. And without a reminder, all that stuff just sits in there and will be of no use to us. So we need reminders. We have a lot stored up here, but we forget what is there. I mean, think about life itself is tied to reminders. We got calendars and day planners and we got doctor's appointments and dentist appointments. And if we didn't write those things down or put them down somewhere to remind us, we would forget about those because we have that tendency to forget. And this is what's so important with the Word of God, that we open the Bible and look and study it. And many times we come across things that jars our memory. Listen, when we open the Word, it's not so much of getting new stuff. It's just a reminder of what we know that we've actually forgotten, and we needed that kind of reminder. I mean, one of the great things in reading the Word of God is that this Bible is a reminding book. Because we had, we had the same subjects and the same things are addressed in this book over and over and over again. I mean, think about how many times God speaks of his love continually through the Bible. But I need to be reminded of that because there's times in my walk with the Lord and I'm going through something. I'm thinking that God doesn't love me. And his word always reminds me and it jars in my memory that he does love me. His faithfulness is laced all the way through the Bible. And there are times I just believe that God's not going to be faithful to me. And I need his word just as a reminder of that, which I already know, that he will be faithful to me. I think God has forsaken me sometimes in that, but he has never forsaken me. And I always need that as a reminder. And the last thing is this. It's important that we become fruit inspectors of our own lives. If there is no root, there will be no fruit. A profession of Christianity is this. It, without obedience to God and his word is just nothing more than a lie. The apostle John said it this way, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may be confident and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness, righteousness is born of him. Greg Laurie says, a gospel that speaks on heaven but does not talk about the reality of hell is no gospel at all. A gospel that talks about the forgiveness of our sin without repentance is no gospel at all. Liberal thinkers 
theology that has the liberals attached to it always will take things away from God's word to make it more palatable for us and living a life that is very, kind of very much skating through, that doesn't have any challenges. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is always challenging us so that we will grow in our faith in Christ. And we give these add-ons too, and it helps us to continue our growth in character and in strength.